Chapter Thirty Eight: Science and Revelation. The fool hath said in his heart, "There is no God." The mightiest intellects of earth cannot comprehend God. If he reveals himself at all to men, it is by veiling himself in mystery. His ways are past finding out. Men must be ever searching, ever learning, and yet there is an infinity beyond. Could they fully understand the purposes, wisdom, love, and character of God, they would not believe in Him as an infinite being, and trust Him with the interests of their souls. If they could fathom Him, He would no longer stand supreme. There are men who think that they have made wonderful discoveries in science. They quote the opinions of learned men as though they considered them infallible, and teach the deductions of science as truths that cannot be controverted. And the word of God, which is given as a lamp to the feet of the world-weary traveler, is judged by this standard and pronounced wanting. The scientific research in which these men have indulged has proved a snare to them. It has clouded their minds, and they have drifted into skepticism. They have a consciousness of power, and instead of looking to the source of all wisdom, they triumph in the smattering of knowledge that they may have gained. They have exalted their human wisdom in opposition to the wisdom of the great and almighty God, and have dared to enter into controversy with Him. The word of inspiration pronounces these men fools. The fruitage of skepticism. God has permitted a flood of light to be poured upon the world in discoveries in science and art. But when professedly scientific men lecture and write upon these subjects from a merely human standpoint, they will assuredly come to wrong conclusions. The greatest minds, if not guided by the word of God in their research, become bewildered in their attempts to investigate the relations of science and revelation. The Creator and His works are beyond their comprehension, and because they cannot explain these by natural laws. Bible history is considered unreliable. Those who doubt the reliability of the records of the Old and New Testaments will be led to go a step farther and doubt the existence of God. And then, having let go their anchor, they are left to beat about upon the rocks of infidelity. Moses wrote under the guidance of the Spirit of God, and a correct theory of geology will never claim discoveries that cannot be reconciled with his statements. The idea that many stumble over—that God did not create matter when He brought the world into existence—limits the power of the Holy One of Israel. Test science by God's word. Many, when they find themselves incapable of measuring the Creator and His works by their own imperfect knowledge of science, doubt the existence of God and attribute infinite power to nature. These persons have lost the simplicity of faith. And are removed far from God in mind and spirit. There should be a settled faith in the divinity of God's holy word. The Bible is not to be tested by men's idea of science, but science is to be brought to the test of this unerring standard. When the Bible makes statements of facts in nature, science may be compared with the written word, and a correct understanding of both will always prove them to be in harmony. One does not contradict the other. All truth, whether in nature or revelation, agrees. 
Scientific research will open to the minds of the really wise vast fields of thought and information. They will see God in His works and will praise Him. He will be to them first and best, and the mind will be centered upon Him. Skeptics who read the Bible for the sake of caviling through ignorance claim to find decided contradictions between science and revelation. But man's measurement of God will never be correct. The mind unenlightened by God's Spirit will ever be in darkness in regard to His power. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Those who have no vital union with God are swayed one way and another. They put men's opinions in the front and God's Word in the background. They grasp human assertions that judgment against sin is contrary to God's benevolent character. And while dwelling upon infinite benevolence, try to forget that there is such a thing as infinite justice. When we have right views of the power, greatness, and majesty of God and of the weakness of man, we shall despise the assumptions of wisdom made by earth's so-called great men who have none of heaven's nobility in their characters. There is nothing for which men should be praised or exalted. There is no reason why the opinions of the learned should be trusted when they are disposed to measure divine things by their own perverted conceptions. Those who serve God are the only ones whose opinion and example it is safe to follow. A sanctified heart quickens and intensifies the mental powers. A living faith in God imparts energy. It gives calmness and repose of spirit and strength and nobility of character. God can work above His laws. Men of science think that with their enlarged conceptions they can comprehend the wisdom of God, that which He has done or can do. The idea largely prevails that He is bounded and restricted by His own laws. Men either deny and ignore His existence or think to explain everything even the operations of His Spirit upon the human heart by natural laws, and they no longer reverence His name or fear His power. While they think they are gaining everything, they are chasing bubbles and losing precious opportunities to become acquainted with God. They do not believe in the supernatural, not realizing that the author of nature's laws can work above those laws. They deny the claims of God, and neglect the interests of their own souls. But His existence, His character, His laws are facts that the reasoning of men of the highest attainments cannot overthrow. The pen of inspiration thus describes the power and majesty of God. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Isaiah 40, 12-22 God's character interpreted by His works. Nature is a power, 
but the God of nature is unlimited in power. His works interpret his character. Those who judge him from his handiworks and not from the suppositions of great men will see his presence in everything. They behold his smile in the glad sunshine and his love and care for man in the rich fields of autumn. Even the adornments of the earth, as seen in the grass of living green, the lovely flowers of every hue, and the lofty and varied trees of the forest, testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to his desire to make his children happy. The power of the great God will be exerted in behalf of those that fear him. Listen to the words of the prophet. Hast thou not known... Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Verses 28 to 31. In the word of God, many queries are raised that the most profound scholars can never answer. Attention is called to these subjects to show us how many things there are, even among the common things of everyday life, that finite minds, with all their boasted wisdom, can never fully comprehend. Science and Aid to Understand God All the systems of philosophy devised by men have led to confusion and shame when God has not been recognized and honored. To lose faith in God is terrible. Prosperity cannot be a great blessing to nations or individuals when once faith in His Word is lost. Nothing is truly great but that which is eternal in its tendencies. Truth, justice, mercy, purity, and the love of God are imperishable. When men possess these qualities, they are brought into close relationship to God and are candidates for the highest exaltation to which the race can aspire. They will disregard human praise and will be superior to disappointment, weariness, the strife of the tongues, and contentions for supremacy. He whose soul is imbued with the Spirit of God will learn the lesson of confiding trust. Taking the written word as his counselor and guide, he will find in science an aid to understanding God, but he will not become exalted till in his blind self-conceit he is a fool in his ideas of God. Signs of the Times, March 13, 1884. The precepts and principles of religion are the first steps in the acquisition of knowledge and lie at the very foundation of true education. Knowledge and science must be vitalized by the Spirit of God in order to serve the noblest purposes. The Christian alone can make the right use of knowledge. Science, in order to be fully appreciated, must be viewed from a religious standpoint. Then all will worship the God of science. Manuscript 30, 1896 God the Designer and Creator we need more to be shut in the audience with God. There is need of guarding our own thoughts. We are surely living amid the perils of the last days. We must walk before God meekly with deep humility, for it is only such that will be exalted. 
Oh, how little man can comprehend the perfection of God, his omnipresence united with his almighty power. A human artist receives his intelligence from God. He can only fashion his work in any line to perfection from materials already prepared for his work. In his finite power he could not create and make his materials to serve his purpose if the great designer had not been before him, giving him the very improvements first in his imagination. The Lord God commands things into being. He was the first designer. He is not dependent on man, but graciously invites man's attention and cooperates with him in progressive and higher designs. Then man takes all the glory to himself and is extolled by his fellow men as a very remarkable genius. He looks no higher than man. The one first cause is forgotten. I am afraid we have altogether two cheap and common ideas. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Let not anyone venture to limit the power of the Holy One of Israel. There are conjectures and questions in regard to God's work. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Yes, angels are the ministers of God upon the earth, doing His will. All things stood up before Him at His voice. In the formation of our world, God was not beholden to pre-existent substance or matter. For the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. On the contrary, all things, material or spiritual, stood up before the Lord Jehovah at His voice and were created for His own purpose. The heavens and all the host of them, the earth and all things that are therein, are not only the work of His hand, they came into existence by the breath of His mouth. The Lord had given evidence that by His power He could in one short hour dissolve the whole frame of nature. He can turn things upside down and destroy the things that man has built up in his most firm and substantial manner. He removeth the mountains. He overturneth them in His anger. He shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at His reproof. The mountains quake at Him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at His presence. Manuscript 127, 1897